0: We talked about revival, and it's really crucial to the renewal of society. And so the idea is that we've been going through what is the DNA strand of Trinity Life Church. I Many of you guys are new to our church, and we're talking about what makes us who we are as a church. In the first couple of weeks, we talked about kingdom disciples that actually were actually children in, of God that were meant to actually bring his culture, the culture of his family, um, to to this earth. And that's kind of who we are. And so that may not always happen. Sometimes we bring a, a very distorted culture of God to to this earth, and then people misunderstand who God is. But the reality is, uh, our call as a church and as a people of God is to bring whatever it is that is God's culture here to this earth. And so, um, but not all the time does that happen. And so the understanding of what does it mean to be a Christian oftentimes is a bit warped or distorted, or at least uh, at the very best, it's kind of just like halfway explained. And so I'm going to put up here three different like understandings of what it means to be a Christian that when you ask somebody, most of the time they'll actually think one of these three categories. All right. Um, The first category is someone typically um, may consider a Christian uh, if they're influenced by Christian values uh, because of their heritage or culture all right so in the west oftentimes this is a very difficult thing for us to discern because if you grew up in a church it doesn't matter if it's a united church or if it was a catholic church or a presbyterian church by and large most people will consider themselves at least christian of some spectrum of christianity um, by heritage or culture and toronto if you don't know has a very rich heritage in terms of like um, a, a christian heritage right um, so the Methodist Church, United Church, a big part of Toronto. So a lot of us fall into that category. You may have never, ever been to a church service or a Christian gathering, but you would consider yourself a Christian. We would call that either nominal or kind of a values-based Christian. Secondly, someone who is a strict adherent or a member of a particular church. This would kind of be like a religious kind of like um, understanding of a, of a Christian. So somebody who is faithfully attending a church every Sunday, and maybe it's an Orthodox church or a Catholic church or maybe it's a Baptist church, but you, this is the sign and marker that you are a Christian is because you faithfully regimentally t- attend a church, and some of us grew up that way, and then we left the church when we were 21 because we were tired of that we were tired of like doing that right and so there's a big slice of people that when they say hey, i'm a Christian," what they mean is that i 'm a great church attendance I have 52 stars on my attendance sheet every week, all right? That's how a lot of people understand what it means to be a Christian. Thirdly, and this hits close home to a lot of people, I know, I know, but this this would be somebody I would call somebody who's spiritual or even evangelical. And this is somebody who finds personal fulfillment in the meaning of the gospel of salvation, all right? I would say that there's a lot of us who feel like this is my brand of Christianity. Like, man, God fulfills me. He died on the cross and saved me from my sins, Right? And so, um, again, this is not a wrong perspective. Um, this is a perspective. I would consider this kind of a, the spiritual category, the, the evangelical category, which a lot of us um, maybe grew up in or are or, or learning more about. Last week we talked about this one word that Jesus uses that's very handy for all of us. It doesn't matter if you're religious or not religious. He uses this word repent, and the word repent doesn't mean feel sorry for your past. That's not what he means. Repent means to change the way that you think about what you see, right? Uh, It means to, to what you used to see in a different in a certain way, now look at it in a different way. And I want to offer a different way to understand what it means to be a Christian that doesn't necessarily trump these things, but I think may provide a fuller understanding of what it means when somebody says, I actually am a follower of Jesus. And so it should be one that you're familiar with if you were here at least 2 weeks ago. Um and I would say this that one way to, another way to understand what it means to be a Christian is this that you are a person who is called by God the Father to live under the power of the Holy Spirit to partner with Jesus in bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth. All right. That's a very long definition. It's not as easy as the other ones, right? But this here actually says that I'm not just a recipient, but I'm a, part- a participant. Does that make sense? Right? I'm not just a recipient and I'm not just an attender or a belonger or a member, but actually God is actually calling things out of me that actually were given to me and I'm going to use those things to partner with Him to make the earth. All right. And there's a brand of Christianity that says, Oh, everybody's going to go to heaven and God's going to destroy the earth. But there's that brand of Christianity. But the honest truth is that God is in the business of making the earth now and later better. And a big part of what it means to follow Jesus is you get to play in that. You get to play in that, right? You're called by God the Father to live under the power of the Holy Spirit, to partner with Jesus in bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth. And I would say this is a kingdom way to think about what it means to be a Christian. Now, it doesn't negate the other three in a sense. Maybe one of them it does. But it doesn't negate the gospel of salvation. It doesn't negate that you're part of a church. It doesn't negate the fact that we belong to a culture You know, a people that maybe believe. But it does say this that those things by themselves are not complete enough. You are called to participate. I know this sounds lame, but say this I am called. Come on, it's already the 1115. I am called to participate. All right, so we're going to look at two things. It's First, we're going to go through the parables that uh, uh, Catherine just read, the, par- the parable of the mustard seed and the parable of the um, the yeast or the leaven. And then we're going to look at how do we rethink repent. Okay, don't think of the word repent as bad. How do we rethink repent of vocation? All right, how do we repent and rethink of vocation? All right. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to slowly go through the two parables and kind of try to explain to them and try to see if they land in a place where, uh, where it makes sense to you. So the first parable um, goes like this uh, in verse 31. He put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree. This word tree, you gotta understand that it doesn't actually mean tree. It, did, well, it means tree because they put it there. But it also means like it's this category of like you know agriculture, right? Uh, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. All right. At first glance, it's hard for you to relate to this. It's hard for me to relate to this because he speaks like Yoda. I think we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Jesus is kind of like Yoda. He likes to speak in, like, um, you know, in parables and in cryptic language. But those who were food scientists and farmers and far, you know, food economists of the time, the farmers, they would understand exactly what Jesus is talking about. All right. Let me show you a picture of a mustard seed. That, my friends, on the left side, is not an earwax. It is a mustard seed, all right? Quite small. But the reality is that when Jesus was talking about this parable, he wasn't saying that that's going to turn into a tree, Right? Because if you research, guess what? There's no such thing as a mustard tree, by the way. Okay? But there are such things as mustard plants. And it was prevalent in the Mediterranean at the time, right? And so, it, in, in the farmers, and the agricultural people, and the, sci- the food scientists of the day, when they heard Jesus' parable, they knew exactly what he was saying. They knew that that seed translates into that field that's a mustard field, right? And so in that mustard field is an economy, uh, there, it feeds the people um, inside of it. Jesus also uses the uh, the, the metaphor that birds um, make nests and they come and they abide or they live in that. It is an, an ecosystem. Like in a seed, there is enough in it to create an ecosystem, right? And so, as a farmer, they, they understand what Jesus was saying. They understood that there's the potential in a seed to affect economies, to affect um ecosystems, to affect society. You understand what I'm saying? All right. So Jesus is making this like word picture, and he's he's setting it before you know people like us. And he's saying that inside of you, in your obedience, in your following after God, that you have the ability to affect economies you you can be like a mustard seed that feeds the countryside right what's interesting about mustard plants is that they eventually the way that they grow if you don't harvest them is they grow into thick roots and they kind of intertwine and they become like tree structures and that's why the birds come and live in them and here's one of the um here's one of the uh the thoughts that comes from Jesus's parable is this is that if you are providing um for people in the common good of people that if you are providing it through your skill and and through your talents and through your gifts and through your resources for the common good of other people. And if you do it motivated in the love of God, that you are partnering in the kingdom of God. And so a lot of people think that in order to make a difference, you have to do religious work. And let me tell you this. If there's anything, if there's anything that you need to walk away with from today's this, that it does not it's not religious work that makes God pleased. It's the economy. Bill Clinton said this. When I'm an American, so... Uh, Bill Clinton, what what won him the presidency was, he said, it's the economy, stupid, right? And so that's what Jesus is pointing to in a sense. So here's the thought for today, all right? Um, Your obedience to God's will, while simple and often underestimated, seeks the common good of society. Your obedience to common to God will translate into the common good for society. All right. If there's ever a thing where you your obedience to God makes people out there like lives more miserable, then you need to rethink the plant that you're your the seed that you're sowing, right? Every time you obey God, it will translate to the common good of society. All right. So let's look at the second parable. He's reiterating this concept again. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. All right. Now, this one's fun to study. If you study the nuances of this particular passage, it's, it's really fun. Um, and uh, the word leaven, does anybody know what leaven is? Yeast. All right. Yeah, see, this is where it gets fun, right? So it doesn't necessarily equate to yeast. Yeast is a fungi, all right? Not foot fungi, because you're never gonna want to eat another slice of bread. You're gonna be like taking communion, you're like, oh yeast, fungi. But it's a fungi. It's a it's a it's a it's a unicellular fungi that actually eats sugars and translates it or converts it to carbs and the only reason why I know this is I'm a baker and so I love to bake and so that's why I know this. But so so the word leaven though is actually a little bit slightly different. So yeast refers to the fungi leaven. Leaven is a general term actually uh, in its in its original meaning it actually means this. As a verb it means to raise up, to lift up, to provide relief. Alright so you leaven the bread, you're, 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 the bread is being lifted up. In its noun form, leaven is actually it, it's a pervasive influence that modifies something or transforms it for the better. Isn't that cool? So what Jesus is saying is that our obedience is like leaven. It transforms things for the better. Whenever we're out and about, like, as someone who follows Jesus, or as a human being, God's heart for you is this. It's not that you're just a consumer, and you're a destroyer, and you're just like, in every, you know, you're, you're just consuming and consuming. No, He wants you to be a producer. He wants you to be a transformer. He wants your trade, your skill set, your passions, your hobbies, to leaven everything around it. To transform it for the better, alright? And so um, it starts from your heart, and it spreads to society. Does that make sense? You get the picture of leaven? starts from your heart, and it spreads to society. Let's look at another nuance, all right? I underlined here three measures of flour. Um, and so it's a really general translation. The exact translation from the Greek, the reason why uh, it doesn't translate it in the exact way is we don't use this measurement called satas. But it actually says that um, there are three satas. Does anybody know what a sata is? I didn't. I did do the research, okay? So one sata actually equals 20... Uh, sorry, three satas actually equals 22 liters. All right. That's how many people bake... Yeah, okay. Peter. All right. Nice. Another guy that likes to bake. Uh, 22 liters of flour. Is that a lot of flour or is it not? Okay. So uh, she is a baking queen. All right. Um, She's not feeding just her. She's just not making a lunch for her son. I mean, she's not just making lunch for a classroom. She's making lunch for a school. (laughs) <laughs> She's a very impressive lady. So if you were to translate, uh, this weekend I spent the weekend making bagels with Connor. I'm trying to pass on my skill to my son. So I thought the best way for me to, to talk about this is to translate it into bagels. Because we love bagels. So one liter equals four cups of flour. In case you didn't know that. It's actually 4.23 cups of flour. Um, so four cups of flour, guess how many bagels that equals? 12 bagels. All right. So 12 times 22 liters, she's making 264 bagels. She's trying to feed the school, All right? <laughs> Very impressive lady. All right. So what Jesus is saying in this parable is again, you got to understand the quantity. There's a quantitative like uh, component to Jesus's parable. He says it starts small. Like a mom just f- making stuff in her kitchen. But it goes big, and it can feed 264 people, or at least have 264 servings. It transforms things for the better. It's not contained. The way that we believe in trusting God is it can't be contained. All right. So, again, your obedience to God's will, while simple and often underestimated, seeks the common good of society. All right. It doesn't stop with just personal transformation. Like, um, and th- I love that message. Hear me. I love that message. I'm, you know, I, I love the idea that Jesus will renovate your heart and renovate your life and renovate your relationships. But for what is the question? And for why is the question, right? Not so you can go back home and play Xbox and be happy that you're a, a great guy or a great girl. But for what is he renovating your life and your heart for? And so that's why we're talking about society. So let me ask you a question real quick, because we're not talking about Christianity takeover. That's not what we're talking about. There were some people in the past that thought, well, if Christians took over everything, then that would be the right response. No, I don't believe that's the right response. How are you adding flavor to the culture around you? All right, so let me ask you this question. What seed, if you had to be honest with you, with yourself, what seed have you been planting? What seed have you been planting? In your relationships and, and where you go to work or go to school. What, at the end of the day, what you're planting, what is it going to grow up and what is it going to look like? Some of us, if we had to be honest, the seeds that we're planting, we're hoping that it'll grow up and it'll look like a big tree that looks like me. <laughs> not, not me, but like, like you. Nobody's planting a tree to look like me. <laughs> okay. What is the seed that you're planting that 30 years from now, you will, 30 years from now, reflect in your life and say, what did I do with my life? What is that tree that you're planting today? And the next question that we're going to ask is, where is your field? Where is your field? Where is your bushel of flour that God is asking you to plant? Um, society is a... Composed of groups, and I'm going to throw a chart up of it real quick for you to kind of make me think through where your field is. But society, when we use the word society, it's composed of groups of people who work and live within their own areas of domains. All right, these core structures of society they don't really change for the uh, entire history of civilization. You will probably find these eight to twelve categories of uh, domains. Uh, the people working and living within the, within these domains meet the basic basic needs of society when they function, all right? So, um, oh, great, we got up here. So society is composed of primarily, according to this author's um, kind of thought, um, that there's eight. I've heard as many as 12, as little as seven, all right? Uh, I think World Vision uses this chart as well in terms of engaging. And so society, I know you guys, you, for, for those of you guys who are more of the artsy type, um, we'll get to that, Okay. But for those who are more like nerds like me, uh, this is interesting because society, there is no sector of society that ever has matured into like civilization that hasn't had governance, medical, economics, agriculture, social and civil society, education, art, media, science, and technology. So many people don't like the Old Testament because it's boring and it's filled with stories. The Old Testament is entirely devoted to talking about society. Every component of the Old Testament from Genesis chapter 1 to the end of Malachi is devoted to talking about what does it look like for society to be influenced by God's people. Not to take over, not to take over, but in a positive way, transform it, right? That's the that's the Old Testament, and let me tell you this, that's also the book of Revelation. As you read the book of Revelation, it actually shows you how it, it happens in the end, right? And so this is not just a sociological chart, this is also a theological way for us to understand things. right? And what I hope that you can walk away from is that you feel like I'm in the medical field. I don't know if I'm like serving God or if I'm making a difference. Of course you are. We'll see in a second here. All right. Here's the question. Where does religion, or more specifically, where does the church fall in this? Some people would actually draw a, another line and say religion up there. Um, I've seen that happen. I think the more way to think about it, especially as a Christian, is to see this next picture here. So the reality is that the church is all over this, right? Uh just let me do a quick survey. How many of you guys are in some level of governance? Like you work for the government, you're postal service, or you with the... Uh, uh yeah, okay, so we got a few guys. How about in medical? Medical, yeah. All right, we got stronger showing there. Okay, um, what about economics? And so when I say economics, this everything from like you work in a restaurant to involves some kind of level of like. So if you're a barista, if you are, you know, if you're a business owner, uh, entrepreneur, this falls into. Yep. Okay. So quite a few agriculture. I know a few people that are studying food supply. So maybe you're a student right now, but you're studying it, right? Um, so, social and civil society. So nonprofit, you're working with, yep, yeah, okay. Um, education, you're educators, uh, you're in school, yep, yeah, all right. Arts and media. So, yep, yeah, okay. And then science and technology. All right, cool. All right. Did I miss anybody? I didn't talk about job categories, but we talked about domain and All right. So in this particular gathering, we've got it covered. Like if we wanted to move out to an island and become like this really crazy cult, we could do it. <laughs> we could, I could be the mayor. Uh, we could really do this thing. There's about 100 of us in here. Uh, so, but that's all society needs in order to function, right? There is no such thing as a secular, spiritual, sacred divide everything belongs to God. If he created it, it it all belongs to him. Your work matters, right? Uh, Give me the artsy people again. Raise your hand. I found a very special verse for you. I knew you would be bored by the sociological stuff, so I wanted to find a very special verse in the Bible for you. All right. This is Exodus 31. I don't know. Are we able to get it up here? Oh, great. We got it. Okay. So this is the Old Testament again, right? The Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God. Filled with the Spirit of God. With ability and intelligence. With knowledge and all craftsmanship. To devise artistic designs. Where's, where's Ola? Come on, Ola. Ola should be here. He needs to hear this. To work in gold, silver, and bronze, and cutting stones for setting, and in carving wood, and to, to work in every craft. And behold, I have appointed with him Aholiab, the son of Ahisamech, the tribe of Dan, and I've given to all able men ability that they may make all that I have commanded you. Right. That's a cool thought. The God has actually, it's filled people with his spirit so that they can make art. Right. So God has given every one of us seed to plant in your field. For most of us, it's vocation. All right. My wife has got a vocation, a calling. She is at home with her kids right now. It's no lesser than her previous vocation as a um uh, business negotiator, but it's still part of her negotiating of her uh, vocation to plant seeds where God has her to be. All right. So if God's gifted you with skill and passion to develop software, all right, Stephen Wu, I was a software developer for eight, nine years. We have these geeky conversations. Man, agile. I love talking to Steve because I love the concept of agile programming. I know we're nerding now at this point right now. Anybody know anything about agile programming? All right, the four of us. Okay, we'll nerd out later. <laughs> but what, I love the concept of agile because it says this. Agile means this. It used to be back in the day you were a code monkey. You'd sit in front of a computer and you'd bang out code for 10 hours. That's what I did. They realized that, man, that actually makes grumpy programmers and it makes terrible teams. And so we should put two people or three people and work on the same code set together because it gives more life. Hypothetically, it gives more life, it makes it gives more meaning, more creativity. They may not get as much work done, but the life quality of the workplace is, is better. It's just an agile concept. I'm thinking, oh, man, that's the kingdom of God, right? When you do it right. Uh, if you passively, aggressively hate your partner, then uh, that's something else. But um, anyways, God has not made that call, Stephen Wu's call as a software developer, any less more important Than my call as a as a pastor, right? So now let's look at vocation, and we're going to wrap up on vocation. The Latin word vocare is it means to call. Uh, It's at the root of our common word vocation. Uh, Today, the word uh, often means just simply having a job, Um, and so vocation is much more than that. Uh, Vocation implies that somebody's actually called you to do something, all right? And so the word you know voice. calling. I mean, somebody's called you to do something. I'm going to land this plane, but you guys are going to be up there for a long time. All right. Um, And so thinking of work mainly, thinking of work mainly as a means of self-fulfillment and self-realization. Look, if work is a means for you to feel better about yourself, I can tell you this. I've only been in the workforce for 20 years, but that's a terrible way to find self-fulfillment. All right. It'll slowly crush you if your work defines you. All right. What happens when you fail at work? you get depressed what happens when you succeed at work you feel good for about a week <laughs> right it will crush you if your fulfillment comes from your vocation right but um here's a quote from john coltrane but there's a different way to think about work work as in terms of god's calling on our life right and uh, any john coltrane fans in here Come on, only three of us? All right, we need to be more cultured, Church. Like, I, we need to listen to some Coltrane. All right, so uh, this is what Coltrane says um, uh, in the sleeve of um, one of his last albums. He was writing this um, uh, as a dedication. He says, during the year 1957, I experienced by the grace of God a spiritual awakening. I used the word revival earlier which was to lead me to a richer, fuller, more productive life. And at that time, in gratitude, I humbly asked to be given the means and the privilege to make others happy through music. I feel this has been granted through his grace. All praise to God. And this album is a humble offering to him an attempt to say thank you, God, through our work, even as we do in our hearts and with our tongues, may he help and strengthen all men in every good endeavor. Now, is Coltrane saying that only Christians make good music? No, because I know a lot of bad Christian music out there. Okay? So that's not what Coltrane is saying. He's like, I realize that in the reality of my gifting is this, that God gave it to me, and the best thing that I can do with it is to give it to others, is to bless other people, right? And some people know this, and they, they, they may not attribute it to God, right? One of my most favorite spiritual moments in my life was at a Coldplay concert. Because, man, they were playing, it was a, a Viva La Vida a, a tour. Did we catch that tour? It was an awesome. Eric, you caught it. It was a fantastic tour, right? Their costumes were like, you know, war-torn, like battle, like, you know. And they were playing. And I remember literally one moment, I was sitting there with Linda swaying like this. And I had my hands raised. And I realized, hey, we're not in church. <laughs> and I turned to Linda, I was like, this is, like, with tears in my eyes. I was like, I, if they only knew who gave them their gifts. They only knew, all right? And so there's kind of this infusion of motivation and hope that as a conduit of God, the gifts that I have are not for me. It's for the world, right? It's for society. I do want to close with five struggles as a pastor and as a, as somebody who was, you know, in technology for, for nine years, I felt these uh, ways as well. But there are five ways that predominantly people struggle with vocation, all right? So I want to kind of pray through that. Yeah, strum your guitar. I know you're going, to be, you're going to be up there for a while, so strum your guitar. All right. We have this thing. 11.35, they got to come up where the pastors will continue to go. So um, uh, first, first, uh, first struggle that many of you have had that I've been praying and talking with you is this, I'm not doing well in my profession. I'm embarrassed and I feel discouraged. All right. So you spent all this time getting there and you got there and you're like, I suck at this, or I'm just not doing well, or it's not succeeding. And I'm a bit embarrassed. And that's why I never talk about work because I'm embarrassed at my quality of performance. And I want to say this, that in God's eyes, he doesn't see you as success or failure, right? He doesn't grade you in that way there's no performance component into the way that he thinks about you. The The message of Jesus is this, that in Christ Jesus, Jesus has done everything that it takes to make God proud and approve of you. And so because you have Jesus and God has bestowed you great approval and uh, affirmation through Jesus and not through your performance, even though you may suck at your job, you don't have to carry the weight and the fear that I suck. Because of the greatest person in the world has affirmed you, what does it matter if your boss is giving you a hard time? But it also does does something else, is that it actually gives you different motivation to get better in your job. If you know that you have the full affirmation of God in your life, and you know that he's gifted you to at least do more, and it doesn't matter if you can't take your C work to A plus, but it should give you affirmation to take your C work to at least a B, B minus, maybe one day B plus. Because you're not afraid of failure at this point. Because you can't fail. You can only obey. Knowing God is for you and your work will even motivate you to risk and strive to do harder. Secondly, um, another struggle that people have is I don't know if I'm in the right field or in the right line of work. If I were to have people to raise hands, I would know a lot of you guys would raise your hands on this one. All right. I'm going to take a a line from Tim Keller. And this is what uh, Tim Keller says. He says, Just because you cannot realize your highest aspirations in work does not mean that you have chosen wrongly. Phew. Maybe I wasn't wrong. Or that you're not called to your profession. Or that you should spend your life looking for the perfect career that is devoid of frustration. Because it doesn't exist, by the way that that would be a fruitless search for anyone. You should expect to be regularly frustrated in your work even though you may be in the exact right vocation. I know that doesn't make the pain away or the frustration go away, but the reality is that maybe you're right where you do need to be and you need to accept that the frustration is a part of working out the kingdom of God in your workplace. Embrace it. This week I was in the situation, two situations, where I'm like, you know what, God, I'm going to embrace this. Why? Because I know that if I embrace this, I'm going to grow because of it. I've said this before, that if you go through it, you'll grow through it, right? Thirdly, a lot of people say, I like what I do. I'm good at it, but I've been thinking about full-time ministry. All right? There's a few of you guys who've said this. All right? Only do it if you can make a living any other way. (laughs) There Because, I mean, ministry is not, uh, it's a different level of profession. It's, uh, it's, it's a lot like, you know, uh, being uh, uh, my friend Al here, he's been working with, with, with people on the streets for 25 years. And so there's in component it, which there's no glory in the work of the ministry. There's definitely no money in the work of the ministry, right? But you need to understand this, that in heaven... In heaven, wherever heaven looks like, on earth, wherever, you know, whatever it looks like, there will be probably no pastors or missionaries in heaven, just to let you know, by the way. So guys like me, we're going to have to develop a different skill in heaven, because like there's no need for us anywhere. all right? You sure you want to do the staff thing? Because I mean, you're going to have to find a different gig afterwards, all right? So realize this, that what you develop now as a, uh, a doctor, a potential doctor, as a software, as somebody in the health field, educator, we're going to pray for uh, the education domain in a little bit, um, that man, where you're at right now is just as holy ground as any church gathering. right? So fourthly, a lot of people say, what should I do if I don't see the kingdom of God happening around me? Five quick bullet points. Number one, have you done all that you think God has told you to do? Are you obeying in your domain? Secondly, are you being bold in your workplace? Right. Like, are you stepping up? Are you taking more responsibility? Or are you just doing minimal work? Right. Thirdly, maybe you haven't given it enough time, all right? Maybe you just need to persevere. Fourthly, maybe... Maybe it's not yours to see. The transformation in your workplace that you want to see happen, the goals and objectives that you want to see happen, maybe it's not yours to see, but it is yours to do the groundwork. And there's glory in that as well. But fifthly, if you go through these four things, you, you know that you've done all that God's told you to do. You know that you're being bold in your workplace. You know that you're giving it a time, and you, you, you think that, you know, I don't know if this is, the, you know, if we're going to see anything. Then maybe it is time to go to a different field, right? And maybe you should go and plant yourself in a different domain. Okay. And then lastly, I want to try this one carefully. I can't find work no matter what I try. I just can't seem to find work. You know? And I want to just give you what, I I was jobless for seven months. And as a a dad, like I hated that. I felt like, honestly, I know that this is not true. But at the time, I felt like a loser father because I wasn't working for seven months. In the middle of the recession, in the middle of the recession, lost my job. And seven months, I wasn't working. And God gave me this verse, and I kid you not when I read this verse, it made sense to me. Psalms thirty-three sixteen and 17 says this, that the king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation and by its great might, it cannot rescue. And in that passage, what I felt God was saying to me is this, you're putting your hope and your value in your ability to provide for people. And though I've called you to be a provider, that's not your salvation that's not who you are. Let me provide. It's hard when you have to, when you have to like, you know, live on the generosity of others. I get that. It's a hard place to be, but it's also a great place to be where you take the gospel of Jesus deeper into your heart, right? Take it deeper into your heart. Trust that God is enough. God will provide for you if you live in obedience, right? And then he'll open up a door and you'll work and you'll hate work anyways, right? Right? But in this time where you're waiting, take the the, the gospel of Jesus deeper into your heart.